This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We are in the last month of June, but we are pushing and chugging and working along to training camp and we are having a lot of fun with this Bengals top 25 countdown which we continue to kick off this lovely week and we have another awesome Bengals fan story coming up in this show for you which we'll talk about some more as well welcome into another Monday top 25 edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast Muhammad Ahmad, Andrew Gillis and Mike Nislik here with you on this fine Monday. Speaking of Bengals fans, I'd imagine 99.9999999% of people listening to this podcast are Bengals fans. And so if that's you, which it pretty much is, uh, go to strictlystripes.com and click on the link that says why I'm a Bengals fan. Tell us your story and fill out the link. It takes a couple minutes or if it's easier, if you're old school, just email us your story at stripes at cleveland.com we've already read a couple stories on this podcast since last week Uh, we're going to read another one later uh today and then this week and all the way through training camp so make sure you tell us your story because these have actually been pretty fun we've even driven some discussions based off of it uh kind of circling back to our top 25 discussion uh we are going to go to number 21 uh and that would be bj hill B.J. Hill is number 21 on our list. And just to recap everyone else, number 22 was Irv Smith. Number 23 was Dax Hill. Number 24 was Miles Murphy. And number 25 was Lyle Collins. So B.J. Hill, veteran defensive tackle at number 21. So I'm going to kind of start this the same way I pretty much started all of these discussions with you guys since last week. Where did you guys have B.J. Hill on your rankings? You want to go first, Andrew? Uh, Mike, do you want to go first? And then sure, I had him at 19. Um, I think he's sort of an underrated member, um, just based on how much he's played over the last two seasons. I mean, played a career high. I think it was 90, 934 snaps last year. Um, really held down the fort when DJ Reader uh, went down with an injury. Um, not obviously the flashiest player, um, but you know, uh, consistent. Um, gives them quality snaps, um, prevents them from having to go to the bench uh, for a player that's sort of obviously, you know, less than and, um, you know, it's not going to get the sacks or maybe the turnovers as, you know, guys like Trey Hendrickson or a reader or Hubbard, but um, that doesn't make him an important, you know, he's still an important piece of what they try to do. Um, and, you know, just with the way he um, has played the last two years, you know, in terms of volume, I think that's really important um, and been an important part of what they're what they've been able to do. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, so so I had BJ at, at twenty. Um, you know, I think. Okay. You know, I, I think twenty was was probably fair. Um, you know, I think you could you could kind of make a case for for a few spots higher. I just, you know, like Mike said, I mean, this team <sighs> they really had to rely on him a lot last year. Um, you know, I mean, you had to rely on him in a lot of different ways, in a lot of ways that 
you know, you, you frankly probably didn't want to, um, you know, obviously, you know, this team is at its strongest when, when DJ reader is on the field and when he's not, you know, that that's not a good thing. Um, so, you know, I think it, you know, this, this team really relied on him a lot. That's something that I think you have to take into account, but I think it, it's, it's a weird kind of mix with BJ going into this year, because I think you could make an argument that he might be more effective if he plays less, um, you know, kind of, you know, shorten, shorten his reps up a little bit. You know, if you can get somebody on the interior to start playing well and, and kind of help BJ out, give him a little bit of a breather. I think you might be able to get more production from him. Um, but yeah, I mean, last year, I don't think, I, I think that was kind of one of the underrated stories of 2022 was that, you know, the, the team really had to kind of rely on BJ Hill more than, more than they wanted to. And I thought he played fairly well during, uh, during that stretch. So that is an interesting point that both of you guys make as far as the workload goes. I mean, that guy was a workhorse, which I mean, for a defensive tackle, like that's tough, especially when, I mean, we know DJ Reader who he is, and he's pretty high on this list. I won't say how high, but I mean, he's high enough on this list where we, we can talk about the fact that, yeah, DJ Reader's a big deal. So when you don't have a guy like that next to you who's a big deal for seven games, that's, that's tough. I mean, just to be exact, he played 1,697 snaps last year, and he was effective in most of those stretches uh, because he had 45 pressures which was the third most on the team. And he missed fewer tackles than anybody. His tackle rate, uh, I'm sorry, missed tackle rate was 1.3%. So the lowest among any, any starter, I should say, on the defense. So, yeah, he made the most of those uh, snaps count. For me, as far as where I had him on my list, I'm pulling this up right now, just as I have your all's list pull up. Um, I actually had him, if I'm reading this correctly, I had BJ Hill at 23. Um, but to be honest, kind of thinking about like everyone else we've talked about, like Irv Smith, Miles Murphy, Dax Hill, and, and then seeing kind of where you had him, like how Mike had him at 19, Andrew had him at 20. I'm starting to think that honestly 21 is perfect. Like I know that's kind of the average of where we all had him, which makes sense. Um, just kind of based on how we aggravated this list. Um, so yeah, I think that's actually a really good spot for him, but I also kind of like what Andrew said. You, you could make the case that he could be higher, like maybe not super high, but 20, 19, 18. I mean, like for you, Andrew, like how much higher could BJ Hill have been on this list? Like would it have been fair to put him at like 19 or 20? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would have had, you know, kind of no qualms. It was, it was kind of a hard decision for me with with Nick Scott. I actually think Nick's going to have a, a pretty good year here in Cincinnati. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I think – but I think you could have flipped him there. Um, you know, frankly, you know, if we're ranking how good they are at their positions, I think, you know, um, you know, that that was kind of the way that I took it, um, you know, and, and, and kind of also evaluating positional value. Like if you had just done a positional value thing or if you had waited more into it, I think maybe Evan McPherson can slide down behind him, you know, just because, again, like I think a, a player who's going to play, you know, 80 snaps a game is 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 more important than a kicker or maybe 70, 60 snaps a game. So, you know, you, you could move him up there. I just, you know, I, I would have had a hard time putting him ahead of any of the defensive linemen. Um, I would have had a hard time putting him ahead of Logan Wilson or Jermaine Pratt. Oh, yeah. Cheeto's yeah. Playing, like, Cheeto was playing at a Pro Bowl level last year before he got hurt, or at least close to one. Um, Cam Taylor Britt, I thought – played really, really well and kind of projecting out into this year. I, I, I'm really high on him. I think he's going to have a pretty good year. 
Mike Hilton was really good. Dax Hill was the unknown, and he was behind him. Like I, I don't. There was just not a spot for me to look at at BJ and say like, wow, he should be kind of rising up the ranks. I think you know th- this ranking might be harsher to BJ in reality or on the like the list than than it should be in reality. But um, yeah, you know, BJ had a good year last year. I just, I just, there's, I don't know what the case would be to to put him, you know, much higher than he is. So what would the case be for that, Mike? Do you have a case for that? For what? Making him higher? Yeah. Like, do you make a case for that? Or is 19, no, like, where you had him at least perfect? I had him at 19. Uh, I, I, I just think based on, you know, if you're going to get 900-plus snaps from your defensive tackle, I mean, that's just a rarity. Uh, I think he's third most in the league in terms of snaps at defensive tackle. Um you know, I just think the volume and, and keeping up at a high level um, is hard to do just because it's the most physical position in, you know, sports, arguably. So, um, you know, I just think it's a, it, the, the difficulty level of that, what he's done the last two years, uh, holding the team up, you know, because DJ Reader went down and that could have been, you know, a disaster, but it wasn't because he was, you know, playing, you know, upwards of 60 snaps of games uh, at times. Um, so, I think that's the case, um, you know, consistent too. Like I said, not necessarily, I mean, you know, and had production, you know, got pressures, not, not wasn't a sack guy or maybe necessarily a tackle for loss guy, but um, filled the filled the spot um, admirably. And I think that would have been a major downgrade if, if you had to go for to like a J2 Felly or something like that. I think that's the case. Yeah, and I think, you know, you definitely do have to give Zach Carter a few more reps this year just because, like, again, with B.J. Hill, he's getting older. He's 28. He played all those snaps that we mentioned he played last year. And Zach Carter is a rising star. Like, I think he can definitely get better in the pass rush, but uh, he showed good tackling skills, good run defense last year when he was filling in for D.J. Reader and, you know, when he was kind of giving – uh, like for a second, when he was giving BJ Hill a breather, like later on, once DJ Reader eventually came back, especially in the playoffs, because Carter did play in every postseason game. Uh, I think that's I'm not going to say Reader's ble- injury was a blessing in disguise, but at the very least, you could say Zach Carter got experience he wouldn't have gotten otherwise. That he will absolutely, uh, really have to have next year. But to kind of go back to BJ Hill for a second and sort of looking at the bigger picture here. Obviously, as we've mentioned on this podcast, kind of talking about trade moves, uh, you know, with Jonah Williams and just the Bengals history of trading. Obviously, when they traded for B.J. Hill two years ago, when they gave up Billy Price to the Giants, that was a rare move that you don't see too often from the Bengals. I mean, I don't want to get too much onto a tangent here, but like the move they made trading for B.J. Hill, is that a sneak? Was that a sneaky good move? Looking at it now, knowing what we know from the last two years, was trading for B.J. Hill a sneaky good move? What's sneaky? Well, I, I mean, it was a good, good move. Yeah. <laughs> great. No, so even better. So it was a great move. I mean, yeah, it was a good move. I mean, they got rid of a guy that failed um, here in, in Cincinnati. It was not, you know, not stuck on with the team and, and got a starter. Of course, it's a good move. Yeah. Well, no, well, the reason why I say sneaky is because, you know, you think about him like he was a third round pick, like wasn't the flashiest guy with the New York Giants. Not that he wasn't good, but like he just wasn't a guy that stood out of his position. But then you look at like what he's done since he got here. He had the, the pick on Mahomes in Kansas City last year, did everything that he did last year we mentioned. Now he's going to get a bigger role going into next year. I guess that's what I was getting at is he's good. But was he so good that like people maybe may not have expected him to break out the way he did? Like that, that's what I was getting at. Does that kind of make sense? No, I don't know. I, I mean, I, in terms 
of just with the trade. I mean, you trade a guy that um, didn't perform, and you get a guy that really, you know, you know, I, I don't think uh, Duke Tobin should be absolved from drafting Billy Price in the first round. But in terms of um, salvaging it and getting value, I mean, I think that's that's what you look for. I mean, you know, just because the New York Giants didn't use BJ Hill. Um, like the Bengals have, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's sneaky about him. I mean, he succeeded and, and and played well. You know, the interesting thing about Billy Price, actually, he's not even in uh, New York anymore. He got traded to the Saints uh, a week and a half ago. So, uh, no, he he wasn't he wasn't traded. I'm sorry, he was a free agent. He signed with them. So, yeah, he's not even in New York anymore. So, yeah, at this point, yeah, he went from basically being a first round star to being a journeyman. So, I do see that, but I guess for me, like. In terms of the trade itself, it was good, yeah, because like Billy Price essentially failed. You, I think we can use the word bust on him. He was definitely a bust, uh, and that doesn't absolve Duke Tobin. Like you said, that's a fair point that has to be made. I was just looking at it as like, okay, you know, B.J. Hill, expect a certain standard out of him. He exceeds it. I think we all agree on that. So now that we know what the standard is for B.J. Hill, what he can bring and what he's done, what would a disappointing 2023 season look like for Hill? I know I asked this for every guy that we've done a podcast on, but for Hill, what does a disappointing season look like for him next year? Well, I think for, for all of these guys, obviously, you know, the, the, the number one thing I think for pretty much everyone is, is injury related. Um, you know, but I, I do have questions about that. I mean, you're talking about a guy who, you know, like Mike said, he's playing a very, very physical position, 28 years old. He's played 16 games in, in every uh, in every single one of his, his five NFL seasons. Um, and not only that, I mean, we kind of talked about the snap counts. I mean, in 2021 with the team, he had 502 snaps. You know, that's you know, that's that's a solid number of snaps. That's it was just under 50 percent. And then in 2022, he played 816. So, you know, I, I I'm not saying it would be a disappointment. If if you see a little bit of a drop off, I, I am curious how much he can kind of hold up under that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I guess the 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 not restrictions, but the um, the difficulty and the, and the toughness of that position. Um, again, I'm not I'm not sure if you're going to be able to replicate that. You know, like if a DJ reader gets hurt or something like that, um, because I think. BJ is kind of, I mean, frankly, I think he's kind of the last guard of, um, you know, of defensive tackles because yeah, I mean, DJ readers obviously really good and, and his value kind of shows up more, more than the box score. But I mean, look at kind of what you have behind him. I'm, I'm not really the, all that thrilled if I were the Bengals about, you know, Josh Tupo or Zach Carter or, or Jay Tufele or, you know, the, the new guy they brought in Devonta Maxwell, like, you know, th- there's just not a lot behind him. There's not, you know, a Miles Murphy behind him, you know, that, that you can look at and say, ah, right. Well, if, if BJ goes down, they're okay. I think that it, that's probably a sneaky weakness of this team. If, you know, if BJ isn't, uh, isn't at the level he was last year. So, you know, I, I think you're just going to need him to play like he did last year where you don't need him to do anything special, but if, if he can't eat those snaps like he did last year, I think that is a, uh, I think that's a disappointment. Yeah, I wrote it in the, the story for for to, was it Friday or Thursday, Friday? Um, that yeah, if, Friday. If just the workload catches up to him, I mean, he's had a lot of wear and tear um, and held up really well. But um, you know, you get a little older, um, and, and it's tough for to, to you know that adds up. Um, just like every player, the closer you get to thirty, and, and it's harder. So um, Andrew laid out kind of their depth issue there. Uh, I think it's absolutely a case where if he just is 
forced to sit more or uh, you know, suffers an injury and misses time, uh, the Bengals probably aren't, you know, probably have to look at free agency to bring somebody in just to, um, you know, hold the fort down because they just don't have a ton of depth or bodies there. Um, and, and he filled just so many, you know, played so many snaps last year. Um, you know, it, it could add up a little bit. Yeah. And I think if you have like, if you get what happened to DJ Reader last year and that happens to BJ Hill, uh, you got a big problem. And like Andrew said, I know DJ Reader's impact shows up more on the box score, but like BJ Hill did a lot and he's going to do uh, a lot, maybe not as much because I think he shouldn't have to do as much next year, but it's still going to be a lot on his plate. So you lose a guy like that. Again, you still have Zach Carter, which is great. But then after that, you've got Jay Tefele, Dominique Davis, and Devonche Maxwell, who, I mean, Davis has only played one game. I don't know that Maxwell has played. Tefele played a couple of games, but he only played a handful of snaps in those games last year. So, and who knows if Tefele even makes the team, because you also got to remember, there's a numbers game with D-linemen. So, like, you don't even know what's going to happen there. So, uh, you have to, you got to be smart with how you use him. Same with DJ Reader, but with, with Hill, it's extra important because uh, he's a workhorse and he's a utility workhorse that uh, you cannot underestimate. We are going to read one of our Bengals fan responses when we come back. We're going to talk about it and talk about one former Bengal who's actually doing something really interesting in his spare time that uh, might make you hungry. I'll tell you what that is when we return right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We talked a lot about BJ Hill being number 21 on our Bengals top 25 rankings. Uh, and just to give you guys a heads up, number 20 is Nick Scott. We are going to talk about him tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, and kind of maybe compare and contrast where he is with other defensive backs. But just a heads up there. I do want to read one of our fan responses, which we've been reading since last week. Uh, This is the, I believe, the third response we will have read since last week. This one is from Sandy Douglas in Columbus, Ohio. So uh, for those who don't know, just about an hour and a half northeast of Cincinnati. So here we go. Sandy Douglas said, I became a Bengals fan in 1968 because my brother was a Browns fan. Parentheses. Yeah, he had a signed poster of Leroy Kelly in his room. And parentheses, and I had to do something to irritate him. I even turned his son into a Bengals fan by taking him to the training camps, to games, etc. I love where this is going. The irritation to my brother turned into a lifelong love of the Bengals through the blah years. That's literally how it was spelled, B-L-A-H. Through the blah years, two Super Bowls, parentheses. Yes, I was a season ticket holder who got to see them both. That is actually really awesome. Kind of jealous. And now finally, loving the team, especially Joe Burrow, can no longer afford season tickets and parking passes, though. That's what happens when your team wins. I try to get there once a year, though, and dutifully watch every game I can on TV. So this, this is good. I like this. First of all, do you guys know who Leroy Kelly is? Like, Do you guys know that name? That's interesting. Leroy Kelly, so he actually... Well, I, I mean, I know uh, he was a, an old-school guy, but I don't really know who it is. Hall of Fame running back, played for the Browns for 10 years, uh, was drafted by them in 64, which was ironically the same year they, they won uh, their last championship, which was when they also had the late Jim Brown. Uh, yeah, four, five-time All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL rushing yards leader, and he did this playing... Partially, not entirely, but partially with Jim Brown. So, dang, man, 
Browns had some running game back then. But no, I mean, I just thought that was cool. Like, oh, okay, so my brother's a Browns fan, so I'm going to get back at him. That's like, it's like if you're a, you're a Cowboys fan and like your brother or sister hates you for that and they become like an Eagles fan or vice versa. That, that, that is like, that is some pretty good payback. Um, I mean, like, have you guys ever done anything like that where like you had a friend or a relative who, like the team and this is any sport it doesn't have to be just football like they like the team and you hated that team so much that like you became a fan of another team just to piss them off or is this woman just kind of in a league of her own um not really i mean i'm a notre dame fan <laughs> um because you love notre dame or because you want to piss someone off not that i want to piss someone off but it does piss people off um, that's, that's about all I got. That's as close as I think we're going to get here. So on the flip side of that, has anybody rooted for a team that's not Notre Dame just to piss you off? Like individual, like for an individual game, absolutely. Yeah. But I think okay, the game. Okay. With, yeah, th- I think that has more to do with the fact that they're cheering against Notre Dame than they're uh, than they're cheering uh, for that other team. Um, and I don't think any like you know like. I remember when they played Alabama in the national title game in 2012. I don't think any of the kids from, you know, my friends from high school, I, I don't think any of them are now lifelong Alabama fans because they were rooting for rooting for Bama. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's stuck, for, that's for sure. Mike, do you have anything to chime in on that? You're from Chicago, so I feel like there has to be something there. I, I just – I feel like I'm going to get onto something here. Or am I not? I don't have anything there. So – did any of so you said you were like a Bears fan, for example, White Sox, all those teams? Did any of your friends like cheer against you because like because of that or like anything along those lines? No, I mean if you're a friend, you don't make it personal. I feel like ah, not personal. Well, depends. Some people are crazy, but I wouldn't say personal. Just just for fun, just for laughs, for giggles. But I will say I I can actually relate to uh, Sandy because so. I'm going back in time 13 years. I was a – obviously, I've said this before. I grew up a Bengals fan. I grew up an hour from Cincinnati. So for some reason, this is really weird. I don't know if this is like coincidence or if there actually is something behind this. A lot of my classmates were Steelers fans. And actually, I even had like two teachers in eighth grade who were huge Steelers fans. One of them was my math teacher. She literally laughed at me every time the Bengals lost. I think that was the year – that was Andy Dalton's rookie year with A.J. Green. So that was the year they made the playoffs and lost to Houston in the first round. I remember any time the Bengals lost, like all those Steeler kids just had to make me hear it. But I, I'm also convinced, like I told a lot of people I'm a Bengals fan, and I swear along those lines, people just randomly said, oh, yeah, I'm a Steelers fan. And I don't know if they actually were or if they were just saying that because a lot of my other friends who were Bengals fans dealt with the same thing. So you know, it's middle school where kids at that point, but kind of like she was saying, I mean, she, she sounds like she was a lot younger. I, I'd imagine she didn't say how old she was, but I'm sure she might've been like younger, maybe a kid, young adult. So yeah, kids, man, we are, uh, I shouldn't say we, cause I'm an adult now. I think, uh, kids are just something, man. I want to kind of wrap this up with something that, uh, will actually leave you guys. I think this will leave you guys hungry because honestly, I'm I'm hungry even thinking about this. So Carlos Dunlap, former Bengal, we know all about him. We've even talked about him on this podcast. Uh, currently a free agent. Who knows where he ends up next year if he goes back to Kansas City or elsewhere? But uh, he is staying busy, uh, blitzing in the kitchen because he just opened a restaurant in downtown Covington, right across from Paycor Stadium. 
And his restaurant, which is a, it's a franchise, he opened a location in Miami three years ago. So he's opening or basically has opened as of today being Monday. He just opened a location in Covington. Honey uninhibited. I was looking through the menu and I actually went to his uh, restaurant today to talk to him. I've got a story coming up on that for those interested. I had a really good interview with him. Uh, the food there, I could smell it. And I even saw some people eating. It's like imagine Southern comfort food. In like the, I don't want to say fanciest, but in like the sweetest, dopest way possible for brunch. Are, first of all, are you guys like people laugh at this question? Are you brunch guys? Like, do you guys do brunch? I have two um, kids. Typically, yeah. Okay. Typically, there you go. Typically, with I mean, it's like I did brunch. I was in a wedding on Saturday, so like I did a brunch. That's on right. Sunday. Um. So like, typically, it has to be with people. But I would say I have. I go to a brunch maybe three times a year, I would say, two times a year. It's not a frequent event for me. Do, when you go to brunch, like, do you like certain types of food? Like, are you a pancakes guy, a waffles guy, a chicken and waffles guy? It depends guy? on the place. It depends on the place, you know. Um, you know, I think um, – you know, I, I think if you go in there and, and kind of know what you're getting, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice at any restaurant. So I uh, yeah. I kind of look around, I see what it is, and, and I kind of see what the vibes I'm getting are, and I, and I kind of go from there. So if I'm in another city, I do kind of like to surprise myself. Like if, if for example, like if I see something has like five, and a, five stars, four stars, four and a half, I'll say, okay, this looks good. I'll just kind of walk in and see what they got. Um, but if I'm like really craving something, I, I got to have like – I got to have French toast, man. Like that, I will say that is one of my guilty pleasures. Uh, I say my biggest one is ice cream. I think the biggest one after that is French toast. So I got to have French toast. I like a nice omelet too. Uh, I like eggs Benedict. If that's what it's called. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. It's been a while, which shows you how often I get brunch. But when I do, I like to get that and I like to get some French toast. Good place in Cincinnati. If you guys haven't been taste of Belgium, uh, I actually went there yesterday, the Finley Market location in Cincinnati. And for those listening uh, who have never been to Cincinnati, if you do come to Cincinnati for a Bengals game or for whatever, uh, go to any Taste of Belgium location. Pretty good. Uh, really good waffles. Like we're talking Belgian waffles from like, God, like the 1880s, I'm pretty sure, is, is like how long they've, they've been around. So old school German, Belgian breakfast. Can't go wrong with it. Are you guys hungry? Did I make you all hungry? I'm good. It's about dinner time, I think. <laughs> I think it's about right dinner time because we're taping this at like, what, 6 o'clock right now? It's about dinner time, so I, I don't know if you guys are already hungry, but I love food. I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a foodie. I am a foodie. I am a F-O-O-D-I-E foodie. All right. Uh, that was fun. I enjoyed that. And, yeah, if I ever try this restaurant, I'll let you know what I think of it. Uh, maybe do some – I'll start doing some food reviews on this podcast. I don't think we've done enough of those. Uh, stay with us tomorrow. We are going to talk about uh, Nick Scott and uh, his place on the list relative to other defensive backs on the list, and we'll talk about some other fun stuff related to the offseason. But once again, for myself, Andrew and Mike, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Go eat something good. Enjoy the rest of your Monday.